This summer, we are doing the Summer of Psalms series again, and if you were here last year, you would know what that was a little bit about, and so um, you'll hear different preachers from Mosaic House, from The Avenue, uh, in addition to Bruce and, you know, the regular rotation you have here, and uh, it's a chance to give the pastors a break and a a chance for them to refuel, recharge, and rest, Uh, but it's also a chance for you all to hear someone different, someone new, and also a chance for all of us to celebrate what God has been doing, planting, you know, all of these wonderful churches, and then the Bridge Church coming up here through uh, Pastor Ryan in Fort Saskatchewan. Uh, so let's uh, turn our uh, Bibles to Psalm 130 this morning. And if you don't have your uh, Bibles, you can bring out your phone. If not, uh, the words will be on the screen as well. So let's hang out in Psalm 130. This morning. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. Let my cry to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For it, the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. What do you hope for? The Toronto Raptors finally winning the championship, winning the game that the Canadians made after, what, 25 years? That new opportunity at work? Finally finishing up school and graduating? Being the proud parents of children who have set out to accomplish their goals? A wedding, a a marriage with that loved one that will completely change your life altogether, like myself? coming up here in August. Perhaps it's that new gadget that we've been saving for, a new vehicle, making that final mortgage payment to be free at last. You see, many of us may be waiting in hope on something, but today in Psalm 130, our psalmist is waiting in hope on someone. See, no matter what we're turned towards an expectation as a follower of Christ. My prayer is that we are waiting on the one who's worthy of it all on a daily. See, Psalm 130, it's considered a psalm of ascent. It's one of the 14 psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And they were sung by the worshipers as they made their journey up to Jerusalem for the annual feast which means this is for the pilgrim. It's for the follower of Christ on journey, growing, learning, trusting God, and simply always moving. It's one that encapsulates the very essence of the gospel. In fact, this psalm is often called by its Latin name, De Profundis, which literally means from the depths. 
starts off low but reaches high. Or as Charles Spurgeon puts it, certainly it does rise rapidly out of the depths of anguish to the heights of assurance. And so right from the get-go, the psalmist cries out in verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. And of course, Scripture paints us many pictures of what these depths might look like. In the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a story of Jairus. He has this little daughter, and he's in frantic and worry about her. She's very ill at the point of death. The serious illness of her, his much-loved child is one of the greatest fears that we have as parents. And if you've lost a child, you may know how dark and how particular that depth can be. And in that same story, there's actually a woman who's been suffering from bleeding, from hemorrhaging for about 12 years. I don't know, maybe she spent a lot of money on the doctors, probably praying and praying a lot. But nothing had changed until she had encountered this Jesus. And if only she could reach out and touch his robes, then she might be healed. And a long chronic illness can also feel like being in the depths. But this isn't just a cry out to God because of, you know, a mountain of debt or a fractured relationship or devastating illness in the family. It's a dark abyss of human suffering. And of course, these examples that I just mentioned can feel so, so dark. I'm not trying to downplay them. See, depression, grief, illness, poverty, and abuse, these painful experiences can feel almost like death. A pit so deep, it might feel like we're even trapped. And the language used in verse 1, it actually really reminds me of Jonah in the depths of the whale, tangled and trapped in the entrails of this animal, this beast of a whale. Yet more than the suffering that we see outside of us, in our circumstances, or perhaps even in the sinfulness of others, out of the depths really refers to the deepest part of our soul. Have you ever felt this heaviness on your shoulder, on your heart? Have you ever felt stuck, trapped, like you've been in that deep pit and you just can't seem to climb out of it? You see, for me, it was being stuck in addictions, addictions to marijuana that's actually legalized now. Uh, But in my early undergrad years, it was an addiction. We started innocently as, you know, meeting up with the boys once a week, became twice a week, became four times a week, to an almost everyday thing. And essentially, I became this fraud. I was lying to my parents, saying that I was studying at school, even while going to the Korean church with my family, week in and week out. And eventually, it was something that I needed to kind of function properly, You know, physiologically, my body was just all out of sorts when I wasn't high. And ultimately, I realized that if I continued at this pace, you know, it just wasn't going to end well. 
And so something in my heart knew that this needed to stop. Not just slow down, but completely stop. And so I would try to pull away. I would try to stop. I would say no, but to no avail. I'd always give in. I'd relapse back into it. And so eventually I cried out to God and said, okay, God, if you say who you say you are, if you really are out there, you know where I'm at. You know the desire that I have deep inside, that I want to quit. I want to turn away, and yet I'm so powerless. If you say who you say you are, please help me. And essentially, it was this cry for his grace and his mercy, just as the psalmist appeals in verse 2, to remove me from my depths, from my own enslavement to sin and to my own brokenness. And God did hear, and he quickly moved, and he gave me the strength to turn away, completely making that experience of getting high into one that was unpleasurable and undesirable. And no matter what season of life we're in, our sinful nature, our old fleshly selves, clings to us like a shadow on a hot summer day. Whether that's in the morning or the midday sun, whether we're still exploring who God is, or whether we're a seasoned veteran in the faith, our sinful hearts cling to us like a thorn in our side, as Apostle Paul said to the Corinth church. It may be the shackles of addiction, perhaps lust, or our selfish tendencies to look towards ourselves and look down on others. Perhaps it's the destructive words we use in anger when it seems like we're losing control of someone or situation. And instead of speaking words that are life-giving and grace-filled, they're full of destruction and can cut and burn. You see, the more that I sit with the text, the more it dawns on me that seems like this psalmist is intentionally vague with his sinful condition. See, a writer, he doesn't name it, doesn't identify it at all. There's no specific confession or an outright admission of his guilt. And by not naming the specific sin, the psalmist leaves us with no room to debate morality or to discuss these petty matters. But what's more important is that we all share in the fundamental failure of everyone else. Who could stand before Yahweh, our Lord, who keeps a record of our sins? Who knows each thing we are trying to hide? It's a rhetorical question that we hear in verse 3. Of course, no one can stand. Our filthiness before the Holy One, the Holy Other, no way. None of us stand a chance. We all would be destroyed. Who could stand under the light that obliterates darkness? Just as a burning sun demands that we look away, we too are unworthy to be in his presence, let alone look up at his face. Often when we are in the depths, in our pain, whether that's 
physical, psychological, or spiritual, you can feel isolated. Like we've been abandoned, even by God, the one who claims he loves us. But rather than crying out for God in the isolation or from a sense of abandonment, our writer here in Psalm 130 cries out from the sure conviction that God cares, that he will listen, that he will hear. And like many of the Psalms, we are directed to lift our eyes from ourselves and focus on the character of God, the one who forgives, as in verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. So my dear friends, do you truly believe or understand that God has fully forgiven you? That the love of God is so wide and vast that he patiently withholds his righteous judgment. That none of our deeds, whether how good or noble, will ever win him over. That being our best self each day and working hard to climb up that mountain to reach God will never happen because the chasm is just far too wide. And so God, in his love and mercy, had to send his son through Jesus Christ to run down that mountain to rescue us, being crucified on the cross, pulling us from darkness to light, from death to life. And when the Spirit of God swoops in and takes root in your heart, you can't help but stand in wonder and awe of just how powerful he is. And his word, he can turn a stormy waters to a still as glass. And then our whole life becomes worship to him. Obeying his commands, not out of duty, not because it's the good Christian responsibility to do, but out of gratitude and thankfulness for what he's done. You see, when God rescued me and turned me from my addiction heightening the negative physiological and psychological effects of the drug so that I no longer desired it, no longer desired to indulge it, it simply amazed me that I could see his majesty and beauty. And then he simply said, yes, Lord, take my life, Lord, and shape me and mold me into the person you want me to be, to truly bear your image as you were originally attended. And so let me get back to my first question. What do you wait and hope for? Is it that promotion at your job, hitting that next stage in your life, finding, finally sending off the last one to university, making that final mortgage payment? We're looking forward to that freedom that comes after retirement. Is it for that cancer to, to go away? But more than that, do you wait for the Lord? You see, after reminding us about the truth of the gospel in the first half of Psalm 130, the second half of this psalm, the writer reminds us of our posture afterwards. Let's look at verses 5 to 6. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. 
and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen waiting for the morning, more than watchmen waiting for the morning. See, these two verses are a statement of hopeful expectation. Notice how waits and watch are repeated. Here, to wait is, of course, to wait expectantly, with awareness of how God has acted in the past and with keen anticipation of what God will do and is about to do. Now contrast this with the mood in the first half of our psalm. Of course, waiting is the opposite of despair and hopelessness. And then our writer paints this powerful metaphor in verse 6. And he says, waiting for the Lord is like the work of anxious guards at the city wall who fear an attack by the enemies at night, who look forward to an anticipation and anxiousness to the dawn, for that sun to peek over the horizon to indicate that they're safe, that they're okay, that's a new day. The new sun of the new day will rise again. It's an event that you can be certain and count on. In the same way, the Lord's presence and his mercy and his forgiveness is a certainty, and he will speak, and he will act. A couple, week, a couple years ago, I worked at Hope Mission at the men's shelter that provides homeless men with a place to sleep. And I worked the overnight shift from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And uh, we would check them in at about 8.30. They'll come in. We'd pat them down, make sure they're safe, keeping others from harm. And then we store their bags in a safe and secure place. And then we would simply watch over them like these watchmen. Make sure that everything went by smoothly, that they were okay, and maybe even perhaps listen to them if they had questions, if they were just up at night and tossing and turning. And we watched them till the next day, of course, to the early hours of the next day. And so by 6.30 a.m., it would be time to wake them up, clean off those mats, and send them out. Some nights went by smoothly. Other nights were really rough and it was noisy and stressful. But one thing I was certain, the sun would come up, that my shift would soon be over and the next day would be a new day for me but also for these men. And I knew that God was over each and every one of them, taking care of their need to rest and that his mercies would be new again for them to find a healthy way to deal with trauma of their past, the hurt of their past, the abuse that they had gone through. The morning is a certainty. You see, your creator God will one day heal, restore, and wipe away every tear. And friends, it's not only us that await. Scripture tells us that all of creation is groaning for the coming of redemption and anticipation for that restoration. Romans 8, verses 22 verse to 24 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly 
for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? And so friends, what is it that your whole being is waiting for? What is that thing that's making you tremble? Are you able to wait and hope and trust that God is doing something? You see, the echo of verses 5 and 6, they're honest and realistic. The writer isn't promising that the answer to our prayers are going to come instantly. That God might not instantly take it away. He's expecting that he'll have to wait. In Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus encourages us to pray always and to not lose heart. And then he proceeds to tell the parable of the unjust judge who gave justice to the widow because she kept coming to him over and over again, giving us a model for persistence in prayer, for how to cry out to God for us to not give up and lose heart. So keep praying. Don't give up. Whatever trouble we're going through, let's keep bringing it to God in prayer. Confident that God isn't punishing us, but that God's forgiveness and his steadfast is always there for us. And he's walking through that dark place with us. Just as he came lived and died as one of us in Christ Jesus, experiencing all the troubles of the human condition, all the way to the point of death on a cross. Thus, we can come to him with confidence, knowing that nothing will ever change his steadfast love and his mercy. And so, friends, what does this really look like, waiting in hope for God? I mean, yes, we can probably, you know, reason and probably come up that, hey, it's about praying. Yes, it's about scripture. Yes, it's about constantly coming to him and being in that relationship with him through repentance and prayer. But I want to leave you with this one application, uh, just to keep it really, really simple. And it's this that I came out of or came with. It says, preach the gospel to yourself every day. So some people have said that this psalm is like a tiny gospel. And of course, we, we've heard it many times, that if you're a good Christian, you have the right disciplines in order, right? Studying scripture, praying, and you know, maybe if you're a really strong Christian, you, you put in some fasting here and there when you're trying to go on a diet, right? And you say, oh, I'm fasting, and yes, of course, it's the time to meet up with God, to be in this right relationship with him. But it's also time for you to preach the gospel to yourself, to remind yourself the gospel each day. Each, each morning is a spiritual battle, is it not? I'm not just talking about that physical battle of knowing when to quit hitting that snooze button. It's a spiritual battle to not roll over and let our phones dictate our day. It's a spiritual battle to not immediately turn on and read the grim news of the day or 
Even look into our social media and see, you know, how many likes, how many hearts we received on the last post or story. It's a battle to not let the world shape our hearts and our minds because they're constantly trying to inform us of how we should think and how we should behave. It's a constant battle to not push through our day with some yoga and with some lemon water because, you know, the world is full of brokenness and you can just do it if you put a smile on your face. No, we need the truth of the gospel each day because we're so, so quick to forget what God has done and what God is already doing in our life. So friends, preach the gospel to yourself every day. And friends, I just want to encourage you with the closing words of Psalm 130, verses 7 to 8, with the New Testament lids. Let's look at uh, verses 7 to 8. River Church, people of God, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem you, people of God, from all of your sins. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your great mercy and grace. And Lord, oftentimes we just don't take the audacity, we just don't have the boldness to come before you and approach your throne of grace, O Lord. But Father, you know where each and every one of us stands. You know the brokenness that is in our hearts. You know that thing that we are trying to hide, but is the thing that you are trying to heal, O Lord. And so Father, help us to have the courage to cry out of the depths from wherever we are, knowing that you will listen to us in those depths, O Lord. Help us, give us strength. Help us to patiently wait for you to come through because we trust that you truly love us and are gracious and merciful. No matter how many times we've turned on you and have gone our own way. Lord, help us this summer as we transition into whichever season of life it may be. Help us to make you the bedrock and firm foundation of where we stand. Father, we, we cry out to you asking for more people, more of your people to rise up and not shy away from the truth of the gospel in this crooked generation. Oh, help us, Lord. We ask for your spirit to empower us so that we may obey your ways and not default to our own. I pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.